Welcome. This is an awesome podcast. This yeah. is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> to the Jeff. There's a lot of whiskey, Jeff. Macalino. Jeff Macalino. 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 Podcast. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for talking to a friend about it. That's the best way to spread spread the word and help me grow the podcast. Also, follow me on the socials. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. I just did a Good Burger 2 Drunk Jeff Eats. They got a Good Burger 2 combo meal at Arby's, which everyone knows is the best fast food restaurant on the planet, not yet sponsored by Arby's. Someone get this to Arby's for crying out loud. Uh, anyways, I'm super excited about this episode. And I'll say up front, I don't know how obvious it is in this episode, but uh, I, I ended up recording three episodes of the podcast, this being the first, but I think the next one will be the worst. Me, Let me finish my sentence or my thought. Not the worst in quality, the worst in... I had a terrible sore throat. <clears throat> Actually, I don't even want to correct that. I had no voice. Like, I, my throat wasn't really bothering me, except for that it couldn't make normal Jeff McAlino noises. <laughs> so, um, as you can hear, I'm like 90, 90% good today. Um, but, I'll be honest, this episode was a was a struggle i had to i had to mute a few times on my end because i was coughing uh but the guest was phenomenal at covering for me while i was muted uh that's why i think i'm releasing this episode completely unedited which hopefully there's no coughs in there and i apologize if so but anywho let me tell you about this episode with dominic scarella scart whoop what a wasteful italian i am <laughs> dominic Scarcella. <laughs> uh, I'm going to leave that in there. Did I miss? I, oh, I, I missed the C. That's, I, I'm like, what did I? I don't know. That's That was embarrassing. But I'm leaving it in because I don't want to re-record this. Uh, Dominic Scarcella uh, is the author of a book called Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen. Um, and uh, we're going to talk a good amount about that book. And uh, I'm going to let you listen because I, and look, the book is very affordable. Um, the link is uh, in the show notes. Also, Dom has a Substack. stack. Uh, please uh, go subscribe to that. It's currently free. You don't have to put down any money. A lot of Substacks you have to pay. And maybe eventually you will this one, but not right now. So take advantage. Go sign up. Um, this is a this was one of the more interesting to me, one of the more enjoyable and interesting conversations I've had uh, ever uh, on this podcast. So, again, the book "Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen." I'll read you the the little subtitle. Is that what it's called? The thing on the cover um, to give you an idea, but not give away any of the content because I don't think that I don't think Dom and I disagreed on anything, but I don't know that anything, well, you guys know me well enough, but I don't know that, I think you might be surprised at where we both agreed, uh, given 
the subtitle. I don't know. I could be right. I could be wrong. Um, regardless, well, let me just, okay. Good neighbor, bad citizen. Reflections on the core social conflict revealed by Jesus Christ's way of the cross. Uh, by Dominic C. Scarcella. <laughs> I don't know why I'm all of a sudden stumbling. Um, so now, I, I, this comes up in our conversation. I do not think, actually, I would love for people who do not believe in Christ or are atheists, don't believe in God or, or whatever, to read this book because I, to me, what struck me is you don't need to have any religious sense for this to make sense. But maybe because of my religious upbringing, maybe maybe that, that colors me that way. Um... So I don't know. You you be the judge. Get his book and please let me know. Uh, and and I'm sure he he would love to hear from you as well. Uh, what your takeaways are? But it's fascinating. We we get into it and um, we talk some real. I, I think there's a lot of real substance in here. So please let me know what you think. And uh, again, get his book. Check it out. And then let's have a let's have a discussion. Let's talk more about it. Because uh, again, I love it and I love the message that it gives. So let's dive on in. It's me and Dominic Scarcella. All right, everybody. I'm very pleased to welcome Dominic Scarcella to the Jeff Macalino podcast. How are you, Dominic? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I heard that uh, th this is an alcohol optional podcast. I've got some... Uh, Barbaros oat, an oatmeal stout here that uh, I, I'm enjoying that has been uh, poured into a, a fine wooden goblet. Oh, so nice! I'm, uh, I'm I'm ready. This this is a good sipping beer. So I'm 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 ready for the Jeff Macalino podcast experience, and I'm and I'm I'm very grateful that you uh you wanted to talk to me. So oh I'm yeah, ready. <laughs> absolutely, and yeah, alcohol is is encouraged. It makes it easier for the the participants in the conversation and for the listeners even it's, it can it's, uh, it's a win-win-win <laughs> <laughs> i um funny i never in my life enjoyed stouts until uh in august i was shooting a feature length film and uh called haunted happy hour and uh <laughs> we it was based in a bar i guess you know somewhat obvious from the title and uh based in a real life brewery here in St. Petersburg. Excellent. And uh I was the brewmaster. So I was pouring beers and well, I I probably shouldn't go too in depth, but the secret was there were some real beer and some non-alcoholic beers uh <laughs> in the taps and I knew the difference. Um and uh, they had a stout and um I poured one and uh, I thought this was actually, this was before I was told which was which. I thought mm -hmm. it was fake. I was going to go dump it. And the the guy's like, oh, no, that's real beer. He's like, you can drink it if you'd like. And I'm like, well, I don't really like stout, but I'm not going to waste a beer. And <laughs> so I'm like, and it was delicious. It was really good. Um, yeah. So I'm like, huh, maybe I need to get more into into trying stouts. This is a, an, an oatmeal milk stout. Uh, so it's it's basically uh, health food, I think. I mean, it sounds like it. Like I, I try to keep in shape, so you know, why not an oatmeal stout? Yeah, 
Uh, you know, have a, a have part of a balanced diet, <laughs> a, a pint for breakfast, a pint for lunch, and then a sensible dinner. Isn't that how the old commercials used to go? Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> I think that'll do it. I, you know, it, it's a good. I, I I must say I'm not a um, a big beer drinker, but uh, when I do try to drink a beer, I try to pick something that's better than your your typical uh, too fruity, trying to be too hip and sour beer. So a good yeah. stout or or a porter. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a sipping beer. You know, the, you're not just chugging it. I, I heard someone say once that um, this was referring to maybe harder spirits, that uh, if you have to shoot it, it it's junk. It's it's not good for anything except maybe uh, cooking. You, you ought to be able to sip. Yeah, you ought to no, be able to enjoy it, right? I, I agree with that. Now, I'm a very fast drinker, but I think as far as appreciation goes, I'm starting to veer that way with beer. Uh, there you especially. go. Because it's it's uh you know the cheap watered down stuff it's it's good to be cheap if you just want to get drunk you can just rip a case <laughs> of beer down and you know you're good to go but now I'm like I'll take the higher ABV the slower you know the slower ingestion of it and sure enjoy it like a grown savor it yeah savor it <laughs> very, very good i i i sent you I, if, if we want to do inside baseball here i i sent you the uh a quote from herodotus talking about the persians yeah uh, so <laughs> that that's that's been on my mind yeah <laughs> i i actually i'm i'm gonna pull up that quote um because i had never heard this before okay and i absolutely love it um <laughs> and and now i want to talk about it i've been holding back go. I've been holding back talking to even other people about this because I'm like, I want to <laughs> I want to talk about it the first time, you know, on this podcast. I think it'll make it better. There uh, we go. <clears throat> so here it is. It is um, if an important decision is to be made, they, the Persians, discuss the question when they are drunk. And the following day, the master of the house where the discussion was held submits their decision for reconsideration when they are sober. If they still approve it, it is adopted. <clears throat> if not, it is abandoned. Conversely, any decision they make when they are sober is reconsidered afterwards when they are drunk. Um, I think, and 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 again, inside baseball, when we were talking, you kind of compared the podcast a little bit <laughs> to that quote. But I think, <laughs> I, I I think that's a genius idea it also reminded me of i think it was hemingway who always said always write drunk and edit sober yes <laughs> it, it's interesting and uh i'd love uh i i'd love to hear your thoughts on it too especially where my mind goes because i've always considered um i i've i've always made jokes that i consider myself like bruce banner and the hulk like okay there are two entities inside of me there's sober jeff and there's drunk jeff and yes Sometimes they clash. Sometimes they get along. Sometimes they they don't. Uh, <laughs> I, you know. Um, but it, it's almost like, and I don't want to say split personalities, but because it, same ethics, same morals, and things like that, but different uh, stressors, different interests. You know, different high, like di different personalities. And I, my thought is, well, it makes a lot of sense to to do things that way. Like if it. If it makes sense drunk, that might not mean it makes sense. Sure. <laughs> but if it made sense drunk and sober, you're probably onto something if you're a thinking person, right? 
I will, and and you tell me if I'm going way too much into maybe psychology or, or psychobabble here. Um, I think this speaks to a much deeper problem that people have when they're trying to solve problems. And that is it's difficult to step outside of your own rationalism. Your rationalism is how we, it's a rulemaking process in our brains. We grasp things and then we put them into categories. We draw lines around them, boxes, whatever. And to me, the, the whole idea of discuss a question drunk means discuss a question when you've gotten rid of some of those inhibitions mm-hmm. and some of those confines. And, and and maybe the alcohol doesn't lend itself to this, but the idea of doing something when you're more open-minded is actually where intelligence comes from. You know, uh, the difference between intelligence and hyper-rationality is that intelligence is open. Yeah. And it loads on the personality trait of openness. Hyper-rationalism is closed. It contains a ton of information, but it, it can only bounce around in on itself. Mm. There's no way to get outside of it. And and so to me, when I, I read this Herodotus quote, uh, the, 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 the drinking part of it aside, it's, you know, work through a problem with what you know, but then consider that there's a better solution that you haven't already encountered. So do the thing that drops your inhibitions. Um, I, I think this is the difference between um, artificial intelligence and and real human intelligence. I think artificial mm. intelligence, for instance, is misnamed. It's really artificial hyper-rationalism. It can do nothing that hasn't been fed to it. You know, if, if AI were really intelligent, it would be able to open its own door and then step outside of it. But from what I've seen, it doesn't do that yet. It can process enormous amounts of information, but the only way new information gets in there is, is if someone outside kicks down a door and shoves the new information into it. And that's not really intelligence. The problem I've observed is that most people can't tell the difference. And maybe yes. that's why the ancient Persians needed the alcohol to help them. Because most people can't tell the difference between just hyper-rational processing, you know, getting stuck in your own head, and actually being intelligent to consider new information and, and simply to be genuinely open-minded. And, and so Herodotus, to me, I think, is speaking to the difference between open-mindedness and what do we already know, and that learning to do both probably gets you to a better solution. Yeah. No, I that that is incredibly well said. And it it, it <laughs> this is almost a conversation we're going to have about your book, a, a different conversation, but the same thing is where I think people get confused of I it's been bothering me lately the word intelligence and I okay. I think intelligence and knowledge Mm-hmm. Also, are confused things is is yes. I I talk about a lot of politicians, and I say you know I, I hate ninety seven point five percent of them. Uh, okay. They're they're all to me they're all idiots. There are okay. very few politicians. There are some who are thoughtful. Now I don't need to. That doesn't mean I need to agree with them. I That's just right. need to see that they are thoughtful. Like uh, I, I say, Robert uh, RFK Jr. I think he is thoughtful. I think he's in, I think he processes things and thinks. I yes. don't agree with a lot of what he says. I agree with some things. 
Um, but that doesn't I, I respect the fact that he thinks he's open. <laughs> he 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 investigates, he digs in. Um most politicians are talking points, bullet points. They're, they're not all that smart. And uh, <laughs> I mean, so, you know, but, but they, they have more information than the general public. So, I mean, you know, they can talk for hours at debates and, and, and make people cheer, but I, mm-hmm. I I'm fascinated by the people who actually think and process information as opposed to, um, I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I don't know if this flows in here, but one thing that drives me insane, and I understand it, is the 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 scientific, uh, the Church of Science, and I don't mean Scientology. I mean like the I'm calling it a church for lack of a better term. The 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 people who bow at the altar of whatever, and I'm going to call it big science, not meaning it disparagingly, but whatever mm-hmm. big science says is you know is what it is okay. um, can i use big science disparagingly oh okay yeah yeah okay no, I, I i mean i do i do use it disparagingly um but i also i think you know you listen to some of them and you can tell they could be thoughtful people mm-hmm. but they are so uh intent on pulling that company line sure um i think neil degrasse tyson is a great example he, he's okay. way more knowledgeable than me about every almost everything. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more intelligent than me as well. Um, he also refuses to put thought, I think, in certain topics because science tells him it's, you know, God's a waste of time. Um, uh, I'll, I'll go the converse way. Something I don't believe is real. I believe God is real. I don't believe Bigfoot's real. I still like okay. talking about Bigfoot sure. because I feel like hypothesizing about Bigfoot makes you a more intelligent person. It makes your brain think about, okay, if Bigfoot's real, how could he be real? How can this thing exist? To me, I'm like, that should be the kind of thinking that should be encouraged is hypothesize mm-hmm. about things. Think now you don't believe everything you think, but right. <laughs> like, you know, you have to, nest, you have to do more than just, you know, oh, I think the frogs are turning us gay or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you have to do more than just hypothesize and why that's a fun conspiracy theory. You have to actually then dig in before you actually, you know, stand firm and say, do you know the this, that or the other is let me tell you the real story. So I I get it's a fine line. But it bothers me that the the big science kind of has this whole, oh, if you if you, you know, Anthony Fauci, if you question me, you question the science. I could probably do a better impression with my voice right now than I just did. That was very good. I, I thought I was in the room with Fauci. I was. Uh... <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I understand what you're saying. There's a lot of people who have the capacity for very high intelligence, but they, they don't always flip on that switch. And and sometimes they get just bogged down into, like you said, sort of the, the company line. Like, well, th- this is what we do. This is a, this is our consensus. Uh, this 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 is um, how we've already boxed in the information, and we're not going to move from that as long as it's uh, as long as we can still convince people that it's true. Um, if if you're looking for thoughtful people, I would I would suggest not looking first to politicians. 
yeah. or or even even um people who are too entrenched as celebrities I, I think entrenchment is the enemy of of continuing intelligence because again intelligence has to be open-minded mm-hmm. once you you know go from having your your feet on the ground as you're as you're you're walking and traveling to having your feet on the ground and uh firmly planted one place and you're not going to move i think you're 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 shutting off something that's that's very important to to just just growing as a person uh, navigating the world understanding and being aware of the the new things that are out there i mean we're we're all so limited that doesn't mean that we're insignificant i don't think i think we're we're each significant but we're we're each limited um and and i think i i think one thing that that really taught me how to do that uh, because I used to be a very hyper-rational person. I, I used to be very control freaky, you know, which we, I, I think a lot of us have a tendency like that. But um, uh, for me, it was, it was like that. And, and maybe it was um, going through a school system that, that uh, rewarded people who could remember things and recall them very quickly, which is rote rationalization. Right. So I grew up with the capacity to be intelligent, but but the thing that's really praised is is your your simply rote hyper rational behavior, and it, it it took a while for me to to get out of that. Um, and I think you know, you mentioned the, the the Church of Science, which you said for lack of a better term, I think it's a good term, but I don't think it's just the Church of Science that that suffers from that. I think it's also a traditional religions and traditional faiths that that are are trying to guide people towards things that are supposed to be transcendent and yet they get to not transcendent at all in in how they do things in in how they practice in mm-hmm. in how they teach in how they they model things for people uh so i i think there's a as long as humans are involved there's a danger of Turning something good like intelligence and consciousness into something that almost eats itself, like um, prejudice, getting way too lost in your own rational process, um, and and not stepping outside. And 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 I tried to get some of that into into the book. It's it's not only a um, a book about you know the 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 loyalties of being a good neighbor versus being a good citizen and how for Jesus, you know, the, the conflict was met head on and, you know, he chose being a good neighbor, which made him a bad citizen, but also that the, the, the mindset of the citizen is, is so different from the mindset of the person who's been able to get out of that and step aside and say, look, I'm citizenship is it's almost the opposite of, of, really genuine intelligent behavior it's it's okay what what is expected of me from outside and how can i conform to it and and being a these things all went together for me becoming um a deeper and better thinker becoming a better co-worker becoming a better a better neighbor neighbor myself and also growing in a, a a genuine virtue of faith uh 
it, to me, they 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 kind of helped each other along because they're all they're all using the same underlying good stuff, and and they kind of strengthen each other against the the obstacles that that each of them finds. Um, so that's a that that's a a long way of of saying that um, I I had to start considering a lot of things drunk. Yeah. <laughs> well. Yeah, I need to. I need you. You know what I need to do? I need to record these things when I consider them drunk, so I remember when I'm sober to actually. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's a flip side to that, but that's that. Maybe that's the level of intoxication that I get to. <laughs> that's a good idea. There's an old story. I don't know if it's apocryphal or not. That uh, Keith Richards, the guitarist from the Rolling Stones, would sometimes just uh, on a little tape machine, little cassette tape machine, record some ideas that he had, and. Uh, he he, the story goes that uh, one time he woke up and and found that a a cassette tape had finished recording, and he wondered what he had recorded the night before because maybe he had been a little inebriated and couldn't remember, and so he played back the tape and it was you know a few seconds of what would become the the riff of satisfaction, and then just wow. snoring. So, <laughs> yeah, I've had. Uh... <laughs> I, I I've had some of those uh, joke premises or movie ideas yeah. That, that yeah I'm like what did I just say <laughs> I don't know it's not the worst idea but it's pretty bad <laughs> <laughs> but maybe there's some nugget in there of gold that I can extract and and take that somewhere else you know yeah it, you, you your your entire idea doesn't have to be good for some part of it to be really valuable and then you just run with that part of it oh yeah i i right completely... drunk and it's sober that, that's that's the hemingway thing you you brought up exactly i i've actually written about you know uh 10 15 pages or something once uh drunk and it was complete trash but there was a character i invented that I now have stolen and put into another thing. <laughs> I'm yes! like, I love this character. The rest of the story is nonsense, but I like the idea I have of this character. I'm going to figure her out in a different, different thing I'm writing. Yes. Um, because the rest of this is nonsense. Um, I called that junkyarding when I was a, a, <laughs> an indie musician, a songwriter. You know, I have a, a bunch of songs and some of them just weren't working, but I'd say, but you know, I like that bridge. You know, so I'm going to pull that out and because and, I, I need that for another song idea I'm working on. And hey, this thing that wasn't working at all has something in it that I think if I can, you know, take that fender off and put it on this other car, I'm I'm Frankensteining. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the junkyard. Yeah. It, it, create without so many constraints on yourself and then go back later and and really take a better look at it and say, all right, what here did I did I hit on that's useful, and what did I hit on that uh, maybe I just needed to get it out, but it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and, and and you know what's interesting, not to not to dwell too much on the alcohol, but there there there's two things more popping into my head. One is I think I got spoiled in this because I was such an awkward, very shy uh into my college years even okay so so much so that multiple times i would go on a first date with a girl and she afterwards it would be like sorry i thought that was supposed to be a date you 
seemed to, and I'm like, yeah, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. But then I would get drunk and be like, say something maybe that I would never say sober. And things just worked out for me after that. It was like, <laughs> I broke down the barrier of, you know, so, so that's one thing. But the, the other thing is I've always, I, 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 I drink heavily and I drink regularly to the point okay. where, you know, people are concerned about me at times, but, but I, I always say this, I'm like, look, I don't drink because of an emotion. I'm not, I think the person who gets home and they're pissed off about work or stressed out about that and drink, I think that's dangerous. I think the person who's sad when they drink, that's dangerous. I even think the person that happy and drinks, if you're drinking because of an emotion, I feel like then you're, you're tying alcohol in with certain emotions that you should be able to feel sober or drunk. You shouldn't need <laughs> to be drunk to get through an emotion. Um, I, I think, and I think this helps as far as creativity is if you just drink because you enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes I will literally say, I want to write tonight. So I'm going to start drinking at five o'clock and at seven o'clock, I'm going to put on music and start writing away. Um, there you go. yeah. So it, it it's, I'm like, I, I feel like that's a healthier way of, of it, it's not, I'm not trying to sometimes I'm maybe trying to escape or just get out of the the loudness that is your head, my head, but it's mm -hmm. not like I'm sad. I need to drink today. That's not going to be a good drunk. Yeah. Like, it's no, not, no. <laughs> you know, you're not going to get less sad when you drink and not if you go in depressed, um, you know, so that's kind of my attitude. It's like, it doesn't need to be a bad thing if you're doing it just for doing it and letting you know, it's almost, again, it's almost like a science experiment with my body. I feel like, like, yeah. let's see what I start. You know, I'm not driving cars. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> you know, doing any, you know, writing any professional legal letters or anything like that. But, you know, I got nothing else to do. Let's, let's drink and see where it leads me. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and a good lesson there is, you know, you drinking kind of gets you a little the way there. You, you, you learn that having a little alcohol, made you less shy and, and able to engage with people more. Well, then if you can take that nugget of, all right, well, what was I doing when I was less inhibited that, that made me enjoy myself? And if you can extract that from the whole, I need to be drowned in alcohol. Right. Then that's even better. Yes, that's even better, because now I've learned just how to develop my personality. I've learned how to engage with people. And it's not the drinking that triggers. it. So, right. you know, m maybe you learn something when you're drunk, but th then you learn to apply it even when you're sober. Like right now, you you, you seem sober and we're having yes. a great conversation. You don't seem shy. Then again, I'm not a girl. <laughs> on a first date with you, it's a, it, it's a first podcast. We're we're jumping on the pod here, which is a phrase I've heard they they use out in Silicon Valley. So I'm trying to use it too, just because you know. Hey, I'll jump on the pod. Who wants to jump on the pod? I'd love to jump on the pod. Always glad to jump on the pod. Jump on that pod. <laughs> so we 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 jumped on the pod today. You know, I jumped on a pod another day. Here I am jumping on another pod. This is great. Um, but you 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 extract what you're what your success was and see if you can replicate that, but without all of maybe the, the stumbling that went into learning it. 
You know, yeah. that's that, that's really what memories I've heard people say that the, the purpose of your memory is to help you solve problems, because mm-hmm. if there's something you've encountered before that can help you now, ha, that's why it's still there. And if you remember something from, you know, years ago and you still get an emotional reaction to it, that means there's something there that you still haven't worked through and solved what you're supposed to. You haven't learned the lesson yet because you're still trapped in emotion. You know, I, I like to distinguish um, rationality is when you grasp your circumstances. Emotionality is when your circumstances grasp you. Hmm. If you're recalling something from a long time ago and and you still, whenever it happens, you feel grasped by it. That means you haven't done what, you know, what we're supposed to be able to do as mature people is flip that. Okay, I can experience emotions. I can be grasped by the world, by things that happen. But if I'm mature, I should be able to start turning that and start being able to make sense of it and not be trapped in having the world act upon me. I can have the world act upon me and also engage my own agency and start acting with intention myself. That's uh, that fits. I love what you just said. I'm going to I'm I'm going to start factoring that. One thing I even tell my kids this is I I always say, uh, especially when one of them comments on how stupid a certain adult is, you know, whether it's me or my ex-wife or whoever and any adult. I'm like, well, you know, adults are just kids who were good at not dying. And some of us got wiser. Not all of us, by the way. Like my 11 and 13 year old are wiser than some people in their 30s. I know, but I always say I'm like it. It's not. It's not that we're more intelligent. It's that it's that we're more experienced than okay. you know. And generally, like you said, our memories. Like I've been through this. I know how to deal with this better than a mm-hmm. a child knows how to deal with it. But I I don't think. In general, I don't I don't know that I'm any more intelligent. I mean, I'm worse at math than I was at 14 years old, uh, <laughs> but I'm better with women than I was at 14 years old. So there you go. Not that I should be messing with women at 14, but you know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, I just wrote down your, your let's see, tell me if I got this right. Adults are just kids who got good at not dying. Yeah. yeah. Is that it? They, they, OK. Yeah, yeah that's I'm that, going to. That's the basic of it. The basis of it. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's just, and you, my, my other thing with that is I I brought this into my, my first movie I did really my first time ever being on a, on movie set. I was one of the lead characters in this film. Women want everything should be coming out soon. Um, And I play this Southern dumb guy but I'm reading the script and the way I approached it is he's actually the smartest guy in this group. He's just grew up with hillbilly, a hillbilly family. He doesn't know he's, he's dumb. He's, he's not dumb. He's unknowledgeable. He doesn't know how uh, to interact socially, like a normal, normal person. He, he's not he, cultured. He's not he's into not whatever the social right. setting that's now been forced upon him. He's not into that. But he's got some good raw material somewhere in his in his mind. Exactly. So he'll have revelations throughout the throughout the movie 
And I'm like, he's the smartest of these four idiots. I mean, they, <laughs> the four bleeds are not the, the best four guys on the planet, but I'm I, now I, again, this was an internal choice as a, as an actor to just say, this is how I'm going to approach it. I'm, yeah. I'm uncouth, but I'm also the wisest. I just haven't gotten to live life as much as other people have. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I think, I think I draw from that. And even again, t talking to my kids, sometimes I'm like, Oh, what they said is actually kind of smarter than how I would have answered that question. And it's, you know, it's like, it, it's, it's just your brain being able to get through the information. And some, I do, I, I will say sometimes I even argue that children's minds are better than adults. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying because again, I personally do not, but one, one thing when I was talking to a ghost hunter, uh, probably a couple of years ago now, and, and a point he made is kids can actually see and hear ghosts. Adults do too. They just rationalize it. Uh, and okay. again, I don't personally believe in ghosts, but the explanation he gave me was brilliant in my mind. It's like, we hear a random noise and every adult in the world is like, oh, it must just be in the house settling. And uh, somebody, I think it was one of my kids, is like, do you even know what that means? I'm like, I really don't. Not really. <laughs> like, I guess if the house made that much noise, that's probably not a good thing. If that was just the house settling into the foundation, that's probably bad, right? <laughs> um, but, but, and his point was, the adults could see it. Adults just, if they see a, a flash of light, they just assume, oh man, my eyes are going bad. I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> where kids will go hide under the blanket, you know, under a blanket because they just saw a ghost. Um, and again, I'm not saying he's right in his final solution, but I do think sometimes adults are quick to, uh, a word you used, rationalize things where kids' minds are more malleable, maybe in a good way. Uh, mm -hmm. I think more times probably in a bad way the way the media is nowadays uh right. and, and all I, that. I call that <laughs> i call that the curious gullible matrix mm. little kids are born high curious but also high gullible yes so they're 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 exploring and they're open to things but they're also i mean little kids especially they they act on emotion and imitation so they're open to things high curious but they're also very gullible. They can be manipulated very easily. Yes. And as we mature, we get tired of being gullible. And so we try to reduce that. But as we reduce that, we also reduce the curious. Mm. So as adults, we wind up low curious, low gullible, but also lower curious. Now, when you're traumatized, you get shoved into the wrong part of the matrix entirely where you're low curious, but high gullible. That's what. That, that's why when people try to manipulate you they try to scare you yes trauma sends you to low curious high gullible and the the thing is as an adult if you it, it takes a lot of effort but what you're trying to do is get to the the quadrant of the matrix that's high curious and low gullible where you figured out how not to be so easily manipulated and hoodwinked yeah but you're still appropriately curious, you know, and that's, that, that's a tough thing. You know, we all start off high curious, high gullible, and then we drift towards low curious, low gullible. And, and you, you, you've, 
become more mature in your psyche when you're able to start climbing the ladder of curious again without becoming a, a doggone fool. <laughs> you, you, I have to throw the joke in there. Uh, you're reminding me so much of the, I don't know if you've seen the hot, crazy matrix when it comes to yes, talking I about have. women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're reminding me very much. <laughs> once you once you get a chick who's less crazy, she's also going to be like, <laughs> joke, obviously. <laughs> but but I, I think. Yes, we all moved down the gullible <laughs> curious line there. <laughs> yeah so 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 you're saying that uh the the thought that a paper mask um can protect you if you use it and then you take it off to take a bite of food and then put it back on in between sure. fights you're you're saying that's uh maybe a highly that's gullible, extremely gullible. <laughs> and less <Yes>. curious <laughs> it's extremely gullible to have on the cdc's website warning people not to wear those paper masks uh, if they're out in the midwestern wildfires because it will not protect you from smoke particles and then telling you that you should wear it because it will protect you from even tinier particles yes uh i i took a flight a, a bachelor party me and i think it was 18 guys total went to costa rica okay and it was a hey. week before the mask mandate on planes was gone um they were still enforcing it and if, here's the caveat. If you bought drinks and you had a drink in front of you, you didn't need a mask on. Oh, this sounds like it was made for you. It was. So <laughs> I sat there as soon as as soon as the the trade thing comes by 30 minutes into the flight. I'm like, I'll take four whiskeys and <laughs> uh, two cups of ice. You know, I had one friend who's like, oh, I'm not spending all this money on the flight. I'll, I, it, plus, it's, you know, 10 in the morning. I'll wait till we get there. He had to wear a mask the whole time. Anytime he pulled <laughs> it down because we couldn't hear him because the, you know, the plane engine and all that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> flight attendant would yell at him, put your mask back on. Meanwhile, I was sitting here for three hours on this flight with no mask, just sipping my whiskey. And there you go. It was like, huh. I'm not a scientist, but this doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah. And I feel like everyone should know that. Yes. <laughs> how, how do we how do we not more more of us know this? Like this. <laughs> it oh yeah, it was it was a bizarre, bizarre thing. Then on the Good way back I, on your part. Well, on the way back, I was even smarter. I, I brought a <laughs> water bottle onto the plane with me, so I had a drink, so I never had to I'd be like, oh, I'm drinking. Perfect. Never had a mask up. I finished my four whiskeys. I asked for three more. And they're like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, whew, good. I didn't want to wear that mask for an hour. Because at that That's point, I was using the same paper mask the whole trip through the airport and all that. And sure. I was breathing in particles. I'm like, I'm going to get cancer from, from <laughs> eating this mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you, you uh, were able to get around it. Now, you're in Florida, you said? Yes. So you yeah. didn't have it as bad as... Uh, People like me had it here in uh, the People's Republic of New Jersey. Oh no, not even close. No, we <laughs> were we were closed, not really closed, but we were pretty strict for like late March, April, and kind of May. I think I, I didn't see I, I'd see my family because like my you know, first of all, me and my ex-wife share our kids. So okay. it's like yeah. where there's there's no no way around that. We're going to be traveling back and forth to each other's house to get the kids, even yeah. if they're doing school virtually. Um, 
we also both worked so like i can't work and have my kids running around like you know i wouldn't do a thing so back then i had a corporate job so i drive to my parents house and so i'd i'd see the family um hmm. but i didn't see friends i think for a solid two months i was i was like oh, okay. okay i don't you know when fauci said you know, I don't think hand, I don't think we'll ever shake hands again. I think that's a thing of the past. It's kind of silly. I don't know why anyone did it. Uh, you can fuck abroad on Tinder if you if you want to, but you should have a face away from you just to be safe. I'm like, all right, this guy's full of shit. That doesn't. You can't shake hands, but you can have sex with a stranger. And then the throw in of you should do it from behind was just like, wait a second. Like now this guy is just. <laughs> Like there's something corrupt here. Like to, <laughs> to say you can never shake hands again, but yeah, yeah, go ahead, have sex with anyone you want on the dating apps. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> See, I I actually think the other way is safer. Just from a <laughs> just, maybe just shaking hands might be a little safer. Yeah, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna uh, go back to what you said about being on your movie set and and playing the uh, the the guy from the south who just wasn't cultured enough. Um. I do my laundry in laundromats. I ride buses and trains. I shop at crowded stores. If I were terrified of other human beings breathing or maybe touching something that I might have to touch also, I would have been psychologically devastated a long time ago. You know, yeah. I've been around people who cough and sneeze. That doesn't mean I get sick. I've been around strangers a lot using things that other people use a lot. Sometimes they're not doing so well. It doesn't mean that I'm in trouble. You know, so here I was not being the cultured person who goes from my Im immaculately climate-controlled home to my immaculately climate-controlled car and drives to my immaculately climate-controlled workspace and, and can think that the entire world is just disinfected all the time. I, I, none of it made sense to me not the social distancing not the not the lockdowns obviously not killing people's businesses and the things that are actually important for good health like having a job being active getting out in the sun creating yeah. the products that over the last 150 years have increased people's lifespans um you know having a purpose having that human interaction having people around just to challenge you so you don't get lost in your own nonsense yeah. You know, uh, the the emotional health and thing like none of this ever made sense to me because I'm just, you know, an uncultured backwoods person who, you know, goes <laughs> to laundromats and and rides buses and trains and shops at crowded stores, you know, and and uh, goes for walks out in the sun for exercise. And, you know, actually keeps my head up and nods to people and says hello. You know, so I the whole thing, none of it made logical sense. And none of the claims of evidence seem to be backed up by actual evidence. No, no. I, there was, I, I, I still remember the one study that was commissioned with the intent of this is going to prove that people need to mask up. Uh -huh. Somewhere in, it was either Israel, because Israel had a lot of good studies that came out, or um, somewhere, maybe in the UK. And this study came out that they were waiting on to shove down your throat. And they're just like, we tried every which way. It it's not, it doesn't help. It, in fact, it, it leans more towards actually not being good because people are actually 
doing this all the time now. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, it's it's and they just shut those. They shun those scientists, you know. Of course. Yeah, of it, course. It, it shows how um, beholden uh, the industry was. And that's where it's, you know, again, it's like you can you can say oh, scientific consensus, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, but you lied to us. So, <laughs> so your consensus was wrong, and you lied, and that you did it the, intentionally. <laughs> you made your way, conclusion first, and then tried to just find things that would make you sound smart and correct. Yes, and that ties in also to Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen, the book, which I'll I'll be plugging a lot in the uh, pre promo since I don't know how much the title of the book was mentioned. Uh, your book, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen. Um, Thank you. I. It, that actually ties in quite well because there was argument... a bad citizen. I was trying to be a bad citizen for the three and a half years of the COVID hoax. Well, and and that's what the argument of like I heard Neil deGrasse Tyson recently on Adam Carolla, who's a guy who is very much uh, not. He actually was probably the thing that got me through COVID was listening to Adam Carolla talk about this is okay. nonsense this is the you know they I, he, he off the bat is like they're not given the ages of dead people in stories he's like they that's always the first thing they say the name right? comma age and they're not doing that he's like there's 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 a reason he's like this is a and like this was in march and then by may i was like oh god damn this guy's been right the whole time he's a comedian he's yep. a podcaster and <laughs> and and somehow he saw through it all but he had Neil deGrasse Tyson on, and his argument was, "Well, you gotta be, you you gotta balance the, uh, the the moral right of of what's good for society, which you know, in essence, is being a good citizen." <laughs> um, and and that's something that I think the the differentiation you have in your book, and it's it's right in the right in the beginning of it, really. Uh, mm -hmm. of what the difference between being a good neighbor and a good citizen are to me was so well put and thank you um it it reminds me so much of now my mother is a good neighbor and a good citizen and okay. <laughs> um well she she she's a, a wonderful perfect person kind to everyone you know all the time can't I, this is not an insult to her my thing always with her, um, we'll get in discussions about things like marijuana. Um, uh -huh. And, you know, there are certain medical uses that for marijuana. There, you sure. know, there undoubtedly is. And, you know, with her, now it's even legal in most places, including for medical reasons in Florida. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, when I say you should try, you should try marijuana, ask your doctor about it. She's like, no, I can't do that. I'm like, why not? It's illegal. I'm like, that's, that's not a, that that's not a, a law. So, so my argument with her, another, another wise philosophy that I've come up with is, uh, oh, I'm, I, I say it in a better way with her. Um, I'm usually more drunk at a family dinner when I when I say this, but, but uh, law, laws are there to. It, it's something about uh, only people with no ethics need law need laws. Meaning, like you, you, you shouldn't. I, I, it was 
it, it's similar to another thing I say, which I always say, anyone who does anything for religious purposes beyond ceremony. Now, I, I'll get more into what that means in a second, but beyond ceremony, if you're doing it for religious purposes, meaning if you're only doing something because you think that's what God wants me to do, meaning if you're only nice to your neighbor because you think mm. God wants me to do that, you're a bad person. You should be good to your neighbor because that's the right thing to do. It's just inherently good. So if you're relying on, oh, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go to hell. If that's truly how you believe, I'd do that if I didn't think I would end up in hell. Then you're you have very low ethical character. Um, you haven't got there all the way yet, right? I, and you mentioned the intro to the book. I, I do mention that, and it's if you're only outsourcing your ethics, mm -hmm. then you, you're not there yet. You right. you have to be able to insource your ethics, and that's that's what it means to develop your conscience. That's one of the things that separated early Christianity from maybe the. The, the paganism around them yes. is, you know, to, to develop your conscience is to be able to insource your ethics. Now, it doesn't mean that other people can't help you. It doesn't mean that other people can't provide a good example to you. It doesn't mean that you can't learn from other people. But, you know, you're you're supposed to be striving to insource your ethics, not to simply pick an authority figure and just do whatever you're told, because that's a way to pass off your responsibility onto someone else. Exactly. So I was virtuous. I did what I was told. Okay, you did something horrible. Well, blame the guy who told me. I I was virtuous. I did what I was told. No, you weren't. No, you right. outsourced yeah. your ethics as a way to get out of the consequences. That's a terrible thing to do. That's not a responsible thing to do. And no matter how many times some stuffy old person tells you obedience is a virtue, that's not actually a virtuous thing to do. Because yes. obedience is not a virtue. Well, yeah, you're you're basically being as good as a Nazi soldier. Yes. I mean, that that's in essence. Yes. I get that, in this argument. Just to, was their argument in Nuremberg, wasn't it? We followed yeah. orders. Well, that's just to piss off the right, since we've already pissed off the left. Anytime a cop video comes out, now not every time, I should say, there, there are some times where I'm like, yeah, you know, the cop really didn't have a choice to do whatever they had to do. But most of the ones that come out, obviously, are not that way. Um, well, again, I argue <laughs> with a buddy of mine all the time. He's like, that's the protocol. That's what they're told to do. I'm like, well, then they're a piece of shit. Like, they, you can't just say, well, that's protocol. Well, but you should know that that's not You should know, you know, I don't want to get too deep into this or we'll both get canceled. But you should know whether or not the guy who's you know, neck you're kneeling on top of for 10 minutes is overdosing of fentanyl or not, you should know, get off the dude's neck. Like, you should know that's not a th a way to treat another human being. Like, it's, mm -hmm. to me, it's like, you, you just, you can't say, well, that's the protocol. But, but. That's how I was trained. Yeah. So your training's wrong. Again, if, if, and that's where I say, so here's the problem with the way that, and I'm not saying, you know, I'm not raging against the police here, but at the same time, I'm saying by that logic, if they told the police to, hey, you got to go round up children of Republicans or Democrats, whatever, either party, 
or libertarians. We're just going to take the libertarian children away because they're they're spreading crazy fringe ideology about freedom and not, you know, take their kids away from them. It'd be easy too because there's only like five of them. So I know. <laughs> all right. Yeah, my kids are gone. <laughs> Send them to their mom. She's a Republican, I think. But <laughs> but but uh, but you know, but my again the thing is it's like so they just say okay yeah that's what we're told to do. We don't care that he's a good dad. We don't care that that nope doesn't matter. We were told we we were given orders, and if he he fights us, we'll shoot him because uh, that's our that's how we were trained. You, uh, you told me <laughs> you, you you told me that you um had had read the book a little inebriated, mm-hmm. and then we're going back to read it again sober. So you were doing the the perfect uh, Persian model of uh of of uh, examining a, a situation. Uh, did you get as far as station 12? Uh, I need to reflect what station 12 was, but I, I know I did. Um, by the way, I do love just, I have always had a personal connection with the, um, uh, the stations of the cross. Okay. Because I, I, for years, uh, me and my friend, Tim, who is now a priest, a Catholic priest, um, me and him were the altar servers was the two of us and, and our pastor, who would do the stations of the cross every good Friday. Like All right. we would do the, the stations of the cross. It was, we had to carry these like 20 pound candles, which <laughs> don't sound daunting until you have to hold them like this for one and a half hours and just stand there holding this candle and just like yes. your arms by station seven. You're like, Oh no, this is getting too real. <laughs> but It was but your I, candle to bear, Jeff. Yes, yeah, no, and 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 occasionally you'd be breathing heavy, you'd blow out the candle, and somebody would have to run and go get the lighter and light it while you're standing there, like I'm such an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyways, I did love the um the way um oh yes, this is the good cops kill Jesus one. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, I I think that's why I I kind of was always putting this in the back of my mind when talking to you. I'm like. Oh, I hope I don't offend him, but I think I almost agree with you on probably ninety nine point nine percent of things. And <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking, go for it. <laughs> offend me? I have no problem. That that's that's where things get interesting when when people have a different perspective. So don't worry about offending me. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. No, I I did get to uh to station uh or yeah station twelve uh which is the the that's the yeah the good cops kill Jesus. I mean, I, I think that that sentence is, I, it sums That's the it up bumper so sticker. Well. <laughs> That's the tweet, right? I, I, if you don't mind me reading it, this, this is a, not at all. If, if, if we want to get canceled from lots of different people, um, We've already station pissed 12 off the left. When, let's get the right. <laughs> sure. Let, let's get everybody. Uh, station 12, uh, when Jesus dies on the cross, um, and and the stations of the cross for for people trying mm. to follow us. The stations of the cross are, are uh, lots of different denominations of Christianity keep this tradition. Um, Christianity is a very pilgrimage oriented and and time and place oriented religion. I mean, the early church would uh, members would revisit Jerusalem and actually walk the path that that Jesus walked with his cross for that that uh, brief amount of uh, of not only 
uh, terrain, but also where he was crucified. Um, it becomes a, a very much pilgrimage religion um, annually. That's kind of where uh, what we call in English Easter comes from. You know, the fact that people wanted to make that remembrance every year and, and those in the area of the Middle East would go to Jerusalem and do things like walk the path that Jesus did. So the Stations of the Cross is it's it's a reminder that um, Christianity has a time and a place. I mean, it's not supposed to be locked into the past, but there's a realness to it. You know, there's real people who lived in real places and did real things. Um, and so the, the stations of the cross are, are simply a way to gradually go through what that ordeal was like, not only for Jesus, but also for some of the people who were there at this terrible parade. It's basically a parade. The Romans parade people out as an example of what not to do. And Jesus gets that treatment. And so by the time he he's finally dies with um in the traditional stations are 12. So there's, there's 11 things leading up to just him dying that all go into it. And, uh, after just, um, mentioning the, the gospel passages where they, they say that Jesus dies on the cross. I wrote, uh, good cops kill Jesus, not bad cops, not rogue cops, not corrupt cops, good cops, the ones who obey orders and follow their training and protocols. The ones who care about their communities and keep the streets safe and secure. The ones who are just doing their jobs and trying to go home to their families. Hey, they don't make the rules. They just enforce them. Stop resisting. Good cops kill Jesus. You know, and then the, the rest of the reflection goes on and on, but that's that's sort of the the culmination that's the high point of the whole um the the narrative and the drama there is that when Jesus finally dies you have to come to grips with the fact that this was not an accident and people thought this was a good thing yeah oof yeah it, it it's the yeah, it's again. So I gotta say, so many of these things, and now obviously, well, I, I shouldn't say obviously because I don't know if you know this even, but um, I was raised Catholic. Okay, I don't go. I don't go. I haven't gone to church regularly in quite a long time. I I still believe in God. I I don't know. I I still consider myself Christian, but I don't know where on the spectrum. I, w I would lie. Um, however, this book, even reading it from a, again, so I guess I can't say a non-Christian viewpoint, but a non-religious person, I would say, is fair uh, viewpoint. It, it was so, it, it said things so succinctly perfect that are like, oh, that's, that's exactly what I think. <laughs> Well, well, good. I, I'm I'm glad that you're able to to resonate from it. Uh, the book is not only for devout Christians, right? Because I I think the I I think the material is something that applies beyond that. Some of the best reviews I've gotten from people who've read the book and then reached out to me are people who I don't know if they're Christian, and some have even told me that they don't consider themselves Christian. But there was a, 
something about it that they they enjoyed it as just a work of of thinking and philosophy as well yeah. um someone compared it to uh i think um he had read uh, some of the ancient greek philosophers he compared it to like epictetus and and the the, the search for ethics and meaning and and virtue there um this is really a book about um it, it's a book about understanding your humanity and how best to relate to other people and realizing that the the things that supposedly keep society together your government your imposed orders rather than a spontaneous order or what some might call a revealed order um those things actually don't bring out the best in people mm -hmm. and maybe they're not so necessary maybe society which is just an aggregate of all our interactions maybe society could survive and be just fine without people believing that some people were just allowed to commit enormous amounts of violence just to keep order you know yeah. and 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 that's a difficult thing for people to grapple with because your psychological path of least resistance is to impose order like all of the ancient religions and cultures and civilization are based on basically the same thing imposed order is good chaos the unknown disorder is somehow wrong you know everybody worships imposed order and different cultures had a different god that they named was the god of imposed order or whatever but imposed order um even the early judeo christians were like that if you read say genesis there's a notion that you remember remember that the old israelite people were heavily influenced by the people around them there was this notion that god has just imposed order god takes chaos chaos and forces an order into it and because that's where the human psyche is at its base human beings make their their social structures the same way well isn't it good if we just impose order isn't it good if we just force people to do what makes us comfortable yes isn't yeah. it good if we just make people conform to things and the reason why jesus is so hated and winds up dying as a political prisoner i mean he's he he basically is killed for thought crimes because you know he said the wrong thing and 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 thought the wrong things you know he he he's the guy advocating for free expression in a world full of people trying to do cancel culture and censorship and and lock people up for it you know one of your one of the most christ-like figures we have in the modern world that people know about is and I don't know what is his background is from a religious standpoint or a traditional standpoint, but it's Julian Assange. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's a political prisoner because he said things that made violently powerful people uncomfortable. Yeah, truthful things. <laughs> Truthfully, yeah, and it was true. It's not like he was wrong. Right. <laughs> that's the scary and part. Th that's the scary part is that people can be persecuted for doing the right thing. And that's where the conflict comes in. It's like, all right, what's your highest value? Is it just maintaining the social order because imposed order to you is comforting to think about? Or is it really treating people as dignified human beings and recognizing that about yourself also 
and and trying to encourage and support uh, human flourishing in, in however that happens. It doesn't mean everybody's got to be, you know, uh, filthy rich and conspicuously wealthy, but but human flourishing, the fact that people can grow and mature and and learn ethics and learn how to live best and and really embody these things so that they're more than ideas. And this is where I think maybe the book, if, if you do have a Christian background, it, it may help because, you know, Christianity is more than just, you, you mentioned ceremony before. Rituals will get you to routines, but God doesn't call us to routine only. It's more than that. Symbolism and, and, and language and semantics will get you to philosophy and theology. But God doesn't call us only to philosophy and theology. God calls us to a faith which is an active seeking and an ascent to the transcendent. And that requires presence. So there, there, there's, a, there's an aspect of presence that's underneath early Christianity that a lot of the modern churches have lost. And even you, you mentioned um, growing up Catholic and not really going to church. The one thing that the Catholic and the other apostolic churches still get right, even if they get lots of other things wrong in, in how they're structured and how they interact in the modern world, they do get presence right. And if you're going to get one thing right, get the most important thing right. Like presence gets you to faith. Presence gets you to the soul as more than an idea. But as as my core, the, the tension in my being that I, I not only grapple with myself, but I grapple with the source of it, which is what the word Israel means, by the way. It's an old word. It means one who wrestles with God. Hmm. And it's also the thing that allows me to empathize and to engage in the best way possible with other people who also have souls, who also have the, this grappling that they have to do, who also have a dignity and innate worth that doesn't come to you from outside, but that's part of who you are because you're just a human being. And, and I think maybe the Christianity, if you've got that early church, deep Christianity can help you get through this book, but it's not necessary. I think you can read the book and hopefully get things out of it. And maybe it leads you to explore the figure of Christ. Um, maybe the historical Christ more than you had before. Maybe it, it leads you to explore more of the transcendent, even if you don't have the total Christian language for it, you know, but may maybe, maybe it does. And I don't know if, if you went through that, but I, I think some people are, are, can get that out of it. I, I, I don't know if that's true though. You know, I'm just the guy who wrote it. I'm not the guy who reads it. Although I did have to read it to proofread it, yeah. but you know, it, it's, you know, so I, I, I wonder what people who read it think of it. I mean, what, how did it strike you? Um, it, it uh, I, I think the the, I think the thing <clears throat> that I, it, it will. So one part of it is, and and this relates to how it struck me is I I would challenge an atheist to to buy this book and read it and and say what they think because. Yeah. That, that kind of is how it struck me to an extent, because I thought you don't have to believe 
in God. You don't have to believe in that Jesus was the son of God for this to still make sense. Okay, good. Uh, Thank you. That that was kind of my main. I, I guess that really was the way it struck me. Is it's, uh, I, I, and again, maybe it is because I I had a Catholic education, and you mm-hmm. know, I understand the 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 Stations of the Cross and all that stuff very well. Um, to where maybe I'm like, well, maybe I'm taking for granted that I I I already know this. So, but at the same time, I'm thinking, see, if I. Again, my thought is if I read this as someone who did not believe in God and and thought Christianity was a nothing, I guess this kind of goes back to what you said. I would now want to go and research Jesus a little more um, okay. be, because of, again, you know, again, setting aside my own personal belief and, and my family's belief and your belief, setting all that aside. I don't know how you can read about Jesus and not be like, yeah, he's a real interesting and intelligent man who and kind of going back to what I was saying, at the very least, this was a very thoughtful person. You know, now again, a lot of people believe it's the son of God or, or you know, the Holy Trinity. It is basically it's God is man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a different aspect of it. But I think even people who think that's all hooey, I still think, to me, I'm like, if I read this book as someone who had never heard of Jesus before, I would instantly want to read a lot more about Jesus. Um, not that there's many people who don't know who Jesus is, <laughs> but that that's kind of what kept sticking in my head. And I'll also say this, because th- this was kind of my first answer, but I think that was maybe a more intelligent answer. The way it struck me is I even actually dreamed, I don't know if it was last night or the night before, and this whole good neighbor, uh, good citizen thing entered into the dream where it was oh. some sort of, you know, how dreams work, it's highly actionized. I, I was leading some sort of rebel force and okay. I was arguing, I may not be a good citizen, but I'm a good neighbor. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I use the word neighbor, but it was it, it was the exact same. And I'm like, well, I woke up and I'm like, well, I know where I got that from. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's another way i i have very vivid dreams that i generally remember if i'm sober and i've been sober for five days so there you go <laughs> so i remember and, and i was like oh yeah that that makes sense that i had that dream i guess it's not always <laughs> doesn't always happen that movies or, or books enter into my dreams not often actually um so i'm like well that was good that was nice well i'm very good i I'm glad to hear that. And and I like your analysis of it, that there seems to be enough there because that when, when writing about topics, the one big obstacle is that how do you stop it from being just a topic? How do you stop it from being an idea? And, and the, I, I guess the, the modern buzzword for that is narrative. Can you put it into a narrative? Can you put it into a description of people acting? and things happening, and circumstances, and settings, and whatnot. And so, to me, maybe this was kind of a lazy way to do it, but Jesus's way of the cross, his his persecution, and then his death, that's a built-in narrative. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. It's a historical thing that happened. We have records of it happening. It's already there. So I didn't have to 
create a character. I didn't have to create, you know, a, a universe for it to happen in. I didn't have to do all of the hard things that authors have to do when, when creating a totally brand new narrative. I just had to use the narrative that was already there and offer people some meditations and some reflections on have you dug deeply into what was going on or did you just accept the party line? You know, to, to put a, a political spin onto it. Have you right. just accepted the party line that, you know, um, it, and, and even then take it another step. Are you able to look at this narrative and then examine your own world with the same critical eye? Because everybody, you know, who, who reads that part of the Gospels, you know, they, they cheer for Jesus. He's the hero. And the Roman enforcers are the villains. And the, the Israelite enforcers who worked in tandem with them, they're all the villains. Everybody has the hero and they have the villains. And then, you know, how about in your own world, though? In your own world, do you recognize where those heroes are and that they're not in the things that you cheer for all the time? And that the things you cheer for are the same things that if you read this, you'd say those are the villains. Like, can you make that connection? You know, everybody in Star Wars cheers for the rebels against the Empire. Then everybody goes out and behaves like they worship the Empire. Yeah, yeah. Then you see Mark Hamill's tweets. <laughs> there goes your childhood. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Luke it's, Skywalker it's, it's sucks. Darth Hamill. It's Darth Hamill. It's terrible. No. <laughs> I think the that's first how... time I saw Star Wars, I was really little. I saw it again much, much later, like when I was in my late teens or 20s. And I just sat there flabbergasted going, oh, my goodness, this movie has a plot. Because <laughs> when you're little, it's just, you know, weird looking people and lasers and things flying and blowing up. And like then it's later. It's like, oh, oh, wait, there's a plot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's luckily. No, not with not with Star Wars in particular, but luckily a lot of times I can turn off uh turn off I, I got in an argument with Joseph, my brother, about uh about Loki. Uh because he 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 tried to get a little political. I'm not gonna spoil Loki season two. He tried okay. to politicize the ending of it and and uh he's further towards anarchy than I am, even okay. though I'm knocking on the door. But yeah. but but I'm like, no, I, I don't think that was the I, I think you're reading. I think you're infusing politics into this. I think this is just supposed to be a story. I think it's supposed to be fun. I don't think there's supposed to be a political point. For one, I understand why you'd watch Disney and assume there's a political point. Of course. Right, right. <laughs> but but I'm like, I don't I don't think this was. I think this was actually just a, a character story on on Loki, which, uh, you know, whole other topic. And it's, it's too soon to talk about that because. <laughs> no spoilers here yeah we, we didn't really spoil the book if anybody wants to read the book it's um it's barely big enough when it's a printed paperback to have a spine on it <laughs> um they, they say the average uh adult can read about 230 words a minute the body of this book is under ten thousand. so if you just read through it it could be a 45 minute read i was gonna say i think i read it between 30 and 40 minutes probably which is I'm a little you're, you're a faster reader. You're an overachiever. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, even if you read it more slowly because you were like thinking about it and using it as sort of a meditative aid, a meditation aid, the reflections, it's still not going to be a forever read. 
Um, it, it's it's meant to be a a to the point and short read. Now, I at the same time, I hope I didn't leave too many big old holes in there where you're going. Well, that that's too big of a leap to get from here to there. At the same time, I didn't want to overwrite the book because you know genuine. And here's where I'll get a little Christian on you. Genuine prayer is it can be defined in three words. It's seeking God's will. And you can do that with with words that you've memorized. You can do that with things you think about. You can do that in your heart contemplatively. You can also do it in your actions. You can do it at your workplace, um, in your neighborhood. You can do it in how you treat people. You can seek God's will. That's one of the ways that you can pray always, as some some um, old thinkers have encouraged us to do. But that that's really what it means. Um, but prayer, a prayer aid, if it's done properly, gives you enough to stand on, but also lets you use it as a jumping off point. A good prayer aid will not box you in. A good prayer mm, aid will give yeah. you a foundation that you can then jump off of and, and seek more. Because, you know, if you're seeking God's will, then you're seeking more than this little book here. You know, so <laughs> you're seeking something. Even if, you know, you're not going to use the, the word God. You know, if you're seeking more of your own psychological development, if you're seeking more of your own connection to the transcendent and even more of your own your own psyche and soul, whatever you want to call that, if you're seeking more of that, this book isn't supposed to box you in, but it is supposed to give you a lot of things to think about that you can use as a, as a, as a foundation to, to spring from and, and, and go from. And, and, and just so I make sure to piss off the Catholics, Okay. Uh, I, I, I love, I love what you said about prayer because the thing that's always been my, all right, I'll, I'll just, I'll just rip off the bandaid I, to, to Do tell it. you a story. I've, I've told my family and, okay. and, and friends, if you show up at my wake and some little old lady stands up and says, I knew Jeff and I knew he'd want us to say the rosary at his wake. You need to stand up and yell, the hell he doesn't No, <laughs> The rosary to me is the most miserable, monotonous waste of time in my entire life. And it's actually, and I'm not saying not for everyone, I'm sure, but for me, it, it exactly boxes you in. You're just repeatedly mumbling words, counting how many more beads you have until you get to finish the damn thing. Sorry, yes. I res you know, I respect people who do get something from it. But to me, that puts me square in the box that just continues to shrink. Me. I, like the longer it goes, the more I'm like, oh, my God. Ah. Yes. Um, well, ritualism, that's that's sort of ritualism. That's sort of getting into prayer is only repeating words. Um, the rosary was actually intended to be a, a framework for meditating on the life of Jesus. Each um each set of Hail Marys that you pray, you pray the Hail Mary because you're reminded that that Mary, even though she didn't know, kept seeking further and further and saying yes to the promptings. Um, but you're supposed to meditate on a, an incident in the life of Jesus as you go along. There's there's in fact sorrowful mysteries that have a lot to do with Jesus's way of the cross. But but yeah, if if you've never done it that way and you just you're repeating fifty Hail Marys, yeah, it... at some point you're going. Wait a minute. What was the point here again? Yeah, I got. I mean, couldn't, couldn't I have said it once? <laughs> couldn't I have yeah, said it right. once? 
instead of 50 something times. Um, and if that was the only purpose to it, yeah, I, and that that's, I think, the mechanical nature of religion. That's when religion gets too externally mandated. Like you've got people probably praying the rosary who have no idea that you're supposed to be meditating on events from the life of Jesus. Yeah. Who just think you're supposed to be muttering the prayers over and over again and counting to 10 like you're an accountant. Well, and, and you know, I do think that some people that probably does help them get to that meditation state of just repeating words. I mean, they actually say mm -hmm. that if some people with meditation, the key is finding words to repeat. And just that will help get you centered. And for me, it just aggravates me. <laughs> so, but to, yeah. to that, and I guess that's my. But that's thing, the too. less important part of it. That's the less important part of it. And it seems like if I understand where you're going, it's the 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 part of it that's less important gets gets exalted as the part that's most important. Yes. And that's that's where where people who are genuinely seeking get get disillusioned with it whereas people with ocd and who are just extremely high orderliness as a personality those people love it yes they oh, get so very it's, close it's, to it's, god while they're doing it yeah it's just conformist ritualism i can do that wow yes let's do that let's just do conformist ritualism and that that said i i've i've taught religion to um in the catholic church by the way to Kids, teens, adults, I currently teach adults education, and I, I try so much to, to get them away from that, especially since these are people just learning, and I try to give them a foundation that's more than doing the repetitive ritual stuff. Like, yeah. I've already told them all to wrestle with God, and then I grunt at them and make crappling motions, and <laughs> so, like, you know, if, if they still stay in the class session after that, we, we know that the, they're not easily scared. Uh, but, <laughs> but, yeah, the, the idea is to, to not... Do not exalt and celebrate the wrong thing. Don't exalt rationalism when intelligence is really where you want to go. Don't insult, don't exalt ritual when the, the meaning is where you want to go. And don't exalt outsourcing things and like status and credential and being a good citizen when where you really want to go is someone who's insourced and developed their conscience and can be a good neighbor. Like don't exalt citizen when your goal is neighbor. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it gets lost in the wash. Yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, Dom, I, I did not realize until I just checked at the clock and how long has passed. Um, I, I refilled my I, goblet here with uh, more. I, I saw uh, you re, with more stuff. I, I saw you refill. Now, uh, I, 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 here. That now is I an enormous glass to have whiskey in, Jeff. I just want you to know. <laughs> I can see that on camera, and I'm like, I, I, "Are we sure that's an appropriate vessel for um, a, a spirit such as a, such as that?" It's definitely not. Not not advisable for most, but you know, I I end up doing a podcast for almost an hour and a half, and I'm sure glad I had, you know, as, <laughs> as sick as I am. If I if I you know if I had to go you know forty five, we would have we would have you know, I would have dropped dead, <laughs> maybe. Um, yeah, this has been amazing. Uh, I feel like we could talk for another five hours, uh, but no one would listen. Um, but maybe. <laughs> In the future, I think uh, I I would love to have you come back 
Um, okay, I've got a new Substack. I, I I've got yeah. enough good feedback from the book that I I've created a Substack of of the same name, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen, to continue the conversation. That's that's what I call it, continuing the conversation. You know, and I hope to get into things more like um, you mentioned anarchism. Um, you know, anarchism gets a bad rap for sometimes the same reason that Christian ethics gets a bad rap, because people only know the not part of it. Yeah. You know, people only memorize the Ten Commandments, and most of them are about not doing this and not doing that. They think, oh, well, that's what am I supposed to do then? You know, and anarchism gets kind of the same rap. And I'm going to get into more of, you know, what politics really is and not the euphemisms that get thrown around, especially, you know, we're, we're recording this shortly after the annual election in November. You know, so we, we just were awash with that, with all sorts of euphemisms for politics. And, uh, so I, save I, our I, democracy. Right? Save our <laughs> democracy. Like, is that worth saving? You, uh, I mean, yeah. There's can two I parts hasten to its it. demise? <laughs> yeah. Can I, can I like flip that around? Like, save our democracy? All right. So if I just do your your uh, list of things in reverse, is it like, you know, playing the Beatles record backwards and hearing, you know, the, the demon voices? What, what's going on here? Can I do that? Can I undermine everything you stand for? Can I, can I, can I be like Jesus and undermine all the dopey things you're doing and show people that there's a better way, you know, if I can find it myself. So yes, if, if you want, um, Amazon does a really neat thing where if you go to Amazon and search for the book, they give you a long preview of it. So before you buy, you can kind of try on the shoes. Um, especially if you hit the Kindle option, there's a longer preview at the Kindle option than at the paperback option. And if you do enjoy it, um, please do purchase it. I, I kept the price low, not only because it's actually a very short work, but also because I, I didn't want um, price to be an obstacle for anyone who wanted to read it. Uh, the Substack, for the most part, right now it's totally free. Um, and even if I do at some point get enough content up there where it, it's worth putting in a paid tier, of subscriptions, there's still going to be plenty of stuff that's that's going to be kept free there. So it it, it really doesn't cost you anything to be curious. Um, what you want to invest in it after that is up to you. But uh, we 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 don't want to kill appropriate curiosity here. And uh, uh, this has been a great conversation for me. Thank you for uh, for having me on and for your interest in the book and for and for also talking about more than just what I wrote down in the book. It's it's okay. fun to tie it to other things and to have a real conversation between, you know, humans. Yeah, no, I've I've never been accused of staying on topic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, the links, of course, everyone will be in the show notes and I'll. Wonderful. Thank in you. In my intro and outro, I'll be I'll be plugging this even more. But uh, thanks again, Great. Dom, for coming on. Thank you. Been wonderful. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Thank you, Dominic Scarcella, for joining me. Uh, again, pick up his book, Good Neighbor, Bad Citizen. Read it once drunk and then read it again sober. That's, uh, by the way, that was that's also a, a fascinating, uh, Herotidus, I believe the name was. It's also a fascinating concept that I, I want to uh, dive into more. Uh, and I don't know how no one has ever brought that to my attention before Dominic. Um, so he's an intelligent and well, uh, uh, read and knowledgeable man. Uh, and, and again, I hope you, uh, you know, 
I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I hope you got something out of it. Thank you to uh, my brother, Joseph Macalino, three-time guest of the podcast, uh, for uh, putting uh, Dominic and I in contact um, because it was, uh, <clears throat> yeah, uh, just fascinating. And uh, Dominic is definitely somebody who I would would love to have back on the show and uh, honestly, I would love to hear from you after you read his book and, or, and listen to the podcast uh, and, and let, a, let me know, especially if, uh, I don't know, if, if any light was shed on anything for you, if you think we're idiots, I would, I would love to hear a well thought out, not just, not just someone sending me a message saying you guys are idiots. Um, I, I prefer something thought out and intelligent. So. You know, I'm not saying I'm right about everything. I, I definitely have never said that. Uh, but, you know, I have not said it. <laughs> um, all right. I think that'll wrap it up. Make sure you tune on in. Um, just an editor's note. I think I've mentioned uh, that this show... Let's see, there's November 27th, December 4th, December 11th, and December 18th. That's four episodes left. I've already recorded two of them and have another one scheduled for two days from the day I record this intro and outro. Uh, So I only have one spot left for December 18th on the calendar. I'm not putting out an episode December 25th or January 1st. So January 8th, uh, I'm already about to start booking for 2024 spots. So... If you are a person or you know a person, put them in contact with me. Again, a lot of, I got to say this year, one of the more special things that's happened is a lot of my guests have been referred to me or I've been referred to them by other people, um, which makes it easier than just trying to find random people on on the internet. Um, you know, obviously, I think I, I've done five episodes with co-stars of mine in in different films. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's cool. So I, uh, I, I hope you've enjoyed it and, uh, let's keep on rocking and rolling. We still got four more in 2023, and then we are going to take it to another level in 2024. And, uh, frankly, probably some, <coughs> some of these guests, God, <coughs> here goes my throat. Some of these guests like Dominic, uh, hopefully we'll uh, be back to uh, help keep it at a high level. So rate, review, subscribe. Uh, uh, Boom, it's over. Thanks for listening. It was amazing. (laughs) I, I loved it. Be sure to come back for another great episode. I'm one wing away from Jeff Macalino. Of the Jeff Macalino Podcast. How much time did you spend on thinking of the name of your podcast? You went just straight, that's my name. I'll add the word podcast to it. Yup. See you next week.